With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. And we're back. All right, now you know how to get connected with us and what to do with those connections. We would love to see you here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in November for the Apostolic Summit. Your life will be changed. Uh, it's, a, it's always a game changer to sit in those kind of environments. It doesn't matter if you're a member of the Mighty. It doesn't matter if you're here every time the doors are open. God is always speaking. Don't ever allow yourself to get complacent, and especially in this social media world where it's so easy to surf around and I'm going to get this person's word and that person's word and not have to pay to do anything or not have to, to, uh, to go somewhere else to do it. There is really nothing like being on site in the room when that anointing is flowing. That dispensation hits you differently when you're in the house versus when you are far away. It is like somebody praying for you from afar and then them laying hands on you in person. Now, their prayers from afar can and will work. However... When they impart into you directly, something else happens. That contact, that point of contact cannot be manufactured, even though the power does go forth in Scripture backs both. Send your word. You're, you're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. I'm a man of power. I understand the power of the sent word. But that is different from the word and the impartation hand-to-hand impartation, laying on of hands, and being in that same room to receive what is going out. And those who have watched online and been here, they say it. They're like, oh, man, but, wow, this is, this is so different. It's the same wisdom, the same word, but it is completely different being in the room, absent from distractions. You don't realize how easily distracted you are when you're at home in your car, the kids in the background, somebody blaring their horn outside, and you're running and coming back, and, and you just don't realize how you're not fully receiving until you are the captive audience. And that person or those people are in front of you, and it's going out. Plus, just being in the room with like-minded people, those worship, power, uh, praise and worship sessions, the spirit of God flowing, getting you cleaned out, set up, prepped up for what he's doing, irreplaceable. I know in this era they want us to get very comfortable with distancing, very comfortable with being disconnected, with not being there. Well, I'm just going to be safe. I'm going to do all these things, real, not realizing the seduction of isolation. 
Isolation can be very seducing. You start telling yourself all the reasons why it's better to be by yourself, and you can still, and again, with these devices, hey, I can just tune in. I can, oh, it's okay if I don't go to this person's conference or be in person in church. I can still receive the word at home. Listen, I have been in places where um, they were watching church from home if I was out of town or another thing. There's all kinds of distractions going on. The dog in the backyard, the kids jumping off of the furniture and off of the walls, you, the microwave going off, you realizing you're hungry and you need to get something to eat during the announcements and praise and worship online. The last thing you are is having undivided attention. Now, some people are that discipline, but rarely are you afforded that kind of opportunity when there's family in the house. Because in church, the kids are in their spot, you're in their place, everybody is receiving, and that's why you are there. And this last almost two years, year and a half, has been about separating you from the world, separating you from being touched, separating you and being okay with that. And now, even if you're not okay, being familiar. So familiarity can lead to complacency. I'm familiar now with this routine, which is why we weren't doing it. As soon as we're back in the building, we're back in the church, we're back together, laying on of hands. If you are, are sick, stay home. Listen, this is what we told people before COVID. If you're sick, stay at home. Don't bring your germs here. Don't breathe on people. Why did you come here hacking up a lung? Why are you sick in church? Stay at home. We'll send a prayer. We'll send somebody to, all right, these are protocols we already had that now we have made it some sort of global new thing for when you're ill. Oh, you need to, we wanted to, before social distancing was a thing, we were like, don't even hug me. You look funny. You're perspiring. Are you perspiring because you have a fever or did you just have to run from the car? <laughs> I just need to know what's really going on. We had these kind of things before. When this thing first rolled out, what did President Trump say? He said, so do what you're supposed to do when you're sick. Stay at home. Don't stay in contact with people. Wash your hands. All of that sanitized, you should be doing anyway. Then it was rolled out like it was this new protocol that never existed before to get us comfortable and familiar with being apart to introduce the next phase of the agenda, whatever that phase is. And so now you have the saints. We're just choosing to stay online for now. Choosing to stay online. First of all, let me tell you about Dr. Paula and Price. I'm not paying for a building that I'm not in. We're going to start with good business practices. I'm not paying for property to only have it be empty with cobwebs. And the spirit of desolation settles in when you stay out. Those other things moved in. When God was moving Israel back from exile and everything, there were wild beasts in the land and all kinds of things had taken over. They had to kind of have the recovery team to go in and clean things out, get it safe again. And that's where we are right now, to keep you comfortable with isolation and or at least saying, well, what choice do I have? Resign to it. Well, what choice do I have? Well, I want to be responsible. Well, I want to be smart. Well, I want to take care of myself. Now, things have been flying around for years. The statistics on some of these illnesses that took people out every single year, like clockwork, for years. 
Nobody talked about the flu before COVID. How many people died with the flu? How many people passed because of pneumonia? We didn't talk about any of it. And now, anytime somebody is ill, it's always COVID whatever. You notice? Now it's COVID pneumonia. Nobody just has pneumonia anymore. It's COVID pneumonia. It's the COVID flu. It's, it's the COVID heart attack. Somebody had a COVID stroke. And so now everything, I'm so serious. And now I'm not trying to make light of anybody's illness, but you see the agenda now is to get us to buy in. They want us to become a China where we just have mass season X amount of the months out of the year. Everybody's masked up. That's how the programming, communist nation programming, is to get you to believe, well, it's this time, so we kick into this protocol of bondage, protocols of lies. lies. This thing is diabolical. This is diabolical. It's a mess. People are really getting sick. But because the virus is real doesn't mean that the vaccine isn't a problem. And they want you to think that for you to say, no, I'm not taking this vaccine equates to I don't believe the virus is real. And that's, that's how they're trying to use the language. That's how they're trying to play it. That's not true at all. I know that I'm looking at people that I know, okay, struggling in the way or taken out by this thing. But that doesn't mean that the vaccine isn't a problem. Because we know Satan will create the problem to introduce his solution that he always had in mind. There is no other thing in the planet that could get people to buy into something like an untried drug to put into your body than worldwide fear, worldwide fear, global, global, the people in the brush, all right? Just, oh, I don't know. Well, well, it's just, isn't it just better to be safe than, than sorry? Uh, not if you call putting that in your body. Safe. And now it isn't, well, you know what? You need to get another shot. Well, you need to get one more. Well, this variant, now the Delta variant, uh, well, if you had the other vaccine, that's not, this isn't going to help you at all. And now they're going to, you don't want to have untested coffee. I'm not going to put this gasoline in my car. You're not going to have me wreck my new engine in my car with this untried petrol. Yet, that the fear campaign was brilliant. Got to tell you. But this is why scripture says to deceive, if possible, even the elect. We're right here. We're right here. False Christ to deceive, if possible, even the elect. How many people are really deceived into believing that this particular solution is the one that's best? Now, it's documented that they put in chips and this kind of stuff. It's documented what Bill Gates, his plan and agenda was. None of this is hidden anymore. None of this is hidden anymore. And, and now is the time to know who do you really believe in, what you're really made of, who is really your God, and how susceptible are you to deception, manipulation, that fear. Fear can masquerade itself as wisdom. And that's where we are right now. Well, you know, you need to be smart. You need to be considerate. We, let's, let's do this. We can do this together. I knew this thing was planned when five minutes after they rolled it out, all the signs were up. All the language was established. Social distancing was already established six feet apart. You noticed there was no lag time in between rolling it out and everything happening, and you need a mask, and you need this. That means it was well-planned because nothing moves that fast, for sure, not from the government or from the medical field. They're always going to tell you, well, it's going to take some time. Well, it's going to take some time. You know it might be a few years until we have a solution. Just hold fast. 
It's going to be okay. And and now with less than a year, there's a vaccine. You can't produce cough syrup that fast. A new cough drop is going to take longer than that. No way. So why why are you not taking this vaccine? Because it's untested and untried. And I don't put anything in my body that's untested and untried. I won't take certain vitamins because I'm like, I don't know. The reviews on this look a little sketchy. And there are no reviews on this. You can't sue the CDC. You can't sue anybody when this thing kills people because it already is. You can't do it. And they're telling you, you have no recourse. We're not responsible. Hey, I know people who were not ill got that vaccine. They're dead. They're dead. Two weeks later. Three weeks later. Moving on to the hard reset. Flashing back. Dr. Price thought she rolled it out several years ago that we were in a hard reset. This is before anything looked reset. See, the point of being prophetic or a prophet, depending on where you sit in God, is you're ahead of it, meaning God is using you as a herald before the signs are showing up in the natural. Otherwise, it's confirmation. It's, we, we have these confirming prophets out here. You saying the obvious is not prophetic. It's obvious. All right? You don't need faith if you can see it because it's obvious. It's in front of you. You don't need faith. You might need conviction. You might need dedication. You don't need faith if you can see it. So it's not prophetic if you're coming after a whole move has been rolled out. You're bringing your word for the year after everybody else literally has given their word. And here you come, Johnny come lately on the scene every year prophesying in March what God is doing. You know, this is my hot button. Moving on. So she, <laughs> I can't stand that. I'm like, you know what? I can count on some people every year at the end of the first quarter giving their word for the year. Don't tell me about what's going to happen economically when it's already hit the news. Don't tell me about storms and weather when it's already hit the news. Tell me last year what's going to happen right now. And not because you could still look on an app. See, now we have got to be even more astute about people's prophetics because you can go on the uh, economic projections and look and see what they're forecasting. And, well, you know, over here in some obscure nation, I prophesied that in this obscure nation, actually this journal published about this obscure nation three weeks before you prophesied it. That's the face. The side eye. I got the prophetic, the apostolic side eye. I need to examine the integrity of your mantle. There's a reason Dr. Price taught on your prophetic pedigree. What is in there? Don't I need to know? I need to know. I need to know. Don't don't you? I think it. No. Next. 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 People all enamored with somebody rolling out. Amen, man of God. Amen, woman of God. You just strung together. Apostle this and what's word, prophet so-and-so's word, that person's new song that was just released, and you have interwoven that into a prophecy, and so many people are like, that's so anointed, because you're anointed. But it doesn't mean that your anointing does not equal accuracy. You can be anointed and be wrong. You can be anointed. Did we not learn about Lucifer? We went to school last week. I'm ringing the bell on retro revelation. 
So just because somebody's anointed doesn't mean they're accurate, doesn't mean they're right, doesn't mean they're hearing from God. Oh, but they can draw those numbers. They were made to draw numbers. Now, who you're drawing them for? So she started teaching on the hard reset, hard reset, when things were looking good. Hard reset. And she said here, the law is not God's headache, it's his will. The law is not God's headache, it's his will. Thy will be done. Thy law be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a statement right there. That's a shifter. That's a game changer. Like, because you have to go back. When you think about why laws exist, it's for the will of the land. The will of the leadership is what the laws are. In your house, you have rules. Okay, we'll use a softer term. We'll say rules instead of laws. You have rules in your house unless you're a parent like my mother. These are the laws of the land in this house. I don't care what so-and-so's mother is doing. I'm your mother. We, oh, I came up in that generation. That's what parents said. I think there are some in the room right now that still I know on this side of the room it's still said, and, the, and there's a witness. That, yeah, amen. <laughs> it said, no, no, no. And, and what is that? That rule in the house, that law of the house is the will of the parent, period. Curfew is this time. House cleaning is this time. Party, no party, guest rules. If I wanted to go spend the weekend at a friend's house, my room had to be clean. And throwing things under the bed was not a clean room. That's where mom started looking first to see if we even need to move forward with this conversation. So that's the, the rule is the will of the person in charge. It's really just that simple. Your rules, we're rolling out the manual for our company and this is here establishment, the policies and protocols for office procedure. It's amazing what promotion can do to people. Big space. I have a running joke. I'm like, it's the building. The building has done something to people. All of a sudden, manners flying out of the window, things that they remember to do, gone down the street. Why the trash? Do we need to have a memo about taking out the trash now? Because we didn't need one in the previous 18 years. We need a memo about the dishes because there are now 10 sinks instead of one. And you have to remember you left your dish in that wing of the building and not over here. And so shift and change, especially promotion and expansion, require new sets of rules. At the very least, expansion of those. And it shows what's really on the inside. Hallelujah. He said, the law, again, is not God's headache, it's his will. Are you bucking up against God's will in the name of liberty, in the name of freedom, blame, blaming the Holy Spirit? <laughs> but I'm free in Jesus. You're free in Jesus from sin. Let's narrow that down. That's what you're free from. You're free from the uh, consequences without an option to opt out, that's what you're free from. You are not free from being obedient. That's like the kid who grows up and, I'm 18, I'm 21, so I'm free from your rules as a parent. You're free in your apartment. You are not free in my house. You come and stay back at my house, guess what you're falling under? My rules and you're paying rent. You are paid to be obedient. All right? 
So if you want to be free from my rules, then you go move out of your my house into your house where everything is in your name and that you can do what you want, except for when the landlord tells you, oh, you can't do that here. You see, there's always somebody telling you what you cannot do. That's life under the sun. That is life under the sun. And so you have got to accept that. So when she said here in 2019, the law is not God's headache, it's his will, you need to go back and reassess what you think about God's law and his law keepers, his lawmen, his law women, those officers, those apostles, those prophets, whoever in the fivefold you're sitting under, the law enforcement officers. I mean, that's part of why we're here is to enforce, again, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that somebody has got to enforce his will. Why? Because there is a whole institution against it. It's just that simple. Just like in your house, it's you and them. You and your offspring. They were so cute when they were babies. So cute when they first started talking. So cute. Oh, today they look like dad. Tomorrow they look like mom. By the time they're two, they look like grandma, grandpa. Look at that nose. They got that chin, that little weird ear. You know, they have a little something. But then their will shows up, which shows up as infants before they start talking. There's that will. It, it shows up in the womb. That child that kicks you to no end is probably going to be one that kicks you to no end all the way through their life. The one that made you sick every day of your pregnancy it is often that one that makes you sick every day of their life. There's that peaceful child. They were just so peaceful, so good, so quiet, and just quiet little baby, just happy, and that's who they are their whole life. And so there's always that indication. But when that will shows up, which is why he says that my will will be done, meaning there are other wills that will against it. And in the hard reset, when she was laying this out, it was separating God's will, where it comes from, our will, where it comes from, where it doesn't come from, what we're supposed to do with it. She also said, be all right with people's disagreement with you and their misaffection. Now, this is not a license for rebellion. Because, see, the rebellious saints will take that as a license for rebellion. You just don't get me. And I'm all right with that. You just don't understand. That's not what she's talking about. She's talking about don't be codependent on people's agreement. Like you can't move forward unless there is a unanimous agreement with what you're saying. You will be useless to God. Ezekiel, the prophet, talked about setting your face like a flint, having a hard head against God's opposition, not against the whole world in general. Not against the people who are assigned to help you, not against those that you're working with, but to set your face like a plant as a plant and to not flinch and not move at God's opposition because he has opposition. He made it. I remember the first time I heard Dr. Price say, but God made a good devil. I was like, you know what? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He made a good devil. He made some good opposition. So when people were choosing to, to choose against God, they thought they were choosing a strong opposition. And I thought, that's never heard that before. Okay, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's good at being the devil. 
You have one job. You have one job, and he is doing it, which is why he can't do anything else. And she said in the end, don't judge me because of someone else's failure. Don't judge somebody because of somebody else's failure. In the church, we are notorious for throwing the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. Well, the last ministry I was in, I sold to, and they messed me over. Okay? Well, do better research this time before you give somebody all your money. (laughs) All right, bud. All right? You got on the bandwagon of big numbers. That's not my fault. That you thought because they had a whole lot of people with them that God approved of them. That, how is that our fault? That now we're being judged as failures because of the last failure that you came from. And we do that in the body of Christ. Now, you don't go to your new job and say, well, I don't know if I'm going to work all my hours here because my last job, then you know what they'll say? You don't have to work any hours here. <laughs> we can, we can, you know what? Never mind. Thank you so much. You don't have to sign in. We we respectfully right, decline you. You you may go. You may go. Now, people mess God's people over because they know they can't be fired. They know that, hey, you will mess over your leaders that you serve because you know you can't be fired, even though I want you to know this person right here fires folks. I do, too. It's good. It's very, it's liberating. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so this was, I have to tell the story. This was, um, what year was this? 2003, maybe? Yeah, okay, maybe 2000. Yeah, because I was working with Dr. Price. I had just started working with her in 2003, fresh out of college kind of thing. And um, so it was maybe, I was in my early 20s, and she's, at that time, prophesying quite a bit to me because she's shaping in me who God is ultimately making me to be. I was, you know, went to school for for theater and, and all that kind of stuff, even though I grew up in the church. And so she says to me one time, she said, you know, Ashley, you're going to be that person that uh, people use to fire people. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, that's random. You know, you don't expect somebody to say that to you. I said, okay. She said, oh, yeah. She said, because you're going to sit there blubbering at your desk, crying. She said, you're that person who's just going to reach out and get your Kleenex and say, here you go. Now, you need to have your desk cleaned out by 3 o'clock and and never flinch and never move. And I was okay with that. I said, oh, okay. I'm thinking it's okay to be okay in Jesus doing that. That's Papa Angela, too. Here's Tuesday. Now, we've met about this, and, and we've had it. Here's your Kleenex, and, and that's what we're going to do. But people mess over God's people a lot because they don't fear repercussions because they've been told you don't have the right to do that. Well, and they've also been told you can't fail God. Now, the Bible is full of failure of God. You know, I mean, much of the Bible much is about how people fail God. Because <laughs> the remnant that he uses is small. Right. So you have this whole arrogance that says, I do what is right, what I want, because what I want is right, and God can't do without me. Now, this is a man who's producing children as, you, as those words are coming out of your mouth. You understand? <laughs> While Saul was cutting up, David was being trained. Oh, come on, Saul was like, I'm the first king, so I'll be the only king. And he must have thought himself as first and last. I'm not sure. But <laughs> long and short of it is this. God cursed failure. 
So let me tell you why God. You say that one more time. God cursed. You hear me, social media? Hi, good morning. I'm here. God cursed failure because failure causes him not to win. Mm. See, failure, we so personalize everything that we do that we don't realize that for God it is not simply an outcome. It is also a being's decision or opting for a being over him. Because Satan was meant to fail. He introduced failure. That's what he did. I mean, he introduced people failing. And so before it became a text, a law, a clause, an assessment, an autopsy, it was a being, which is why we have free will. We have free will to choose success or failure. You know, people will say to me, and I've had them say that to me, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) but people will say to me, you know, I mean, when you say Eden was a failure, and I would say, you know, I used to think that until I read Revelation 12. Then I realized Eden was a solution. That's a different perspective, isn't it? Because Revelation 12 said that God threw out the enemy. Ezekiel 28, which is what we walked through last week, gave us something else. And so in the end, excuse me, guys, probably need a mentor or something, you know. Mm -hmm. But, But the thing that you need to recognize is that failure started as a being. It's, and, and that being will or dominance or intrusion on earth makes it an effect. But that effect had a cause which was personal, personified, and not just really, um, not just really, okay, well, I tried and did my best. If we cannot be separated from God's eternal world. There is no way to sever us. Whether we're going to be attached to him in hell or attached to him in heaven. But there's no way to separate us. So as we move forward and we start thinking about success and failure or God's success and our failure, we have to recognize that God said, I made him right. And he decided to use the gift of free will agency to inseminate and ignite wrong. And he's still inciting wrong today. Look at our situation today. But as much as people want to say to us that uh, Eden, well, you know what I mean, because after all, I mean, he did lose humanity, yeah, but to understand everything began spirit. So God is replicating what happened in his world in our mortal corporeal world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's why he can say, no, you failed me. We don't, you know, we don't like to hear that because we kind of think it's an eternal thing. God said, but I gave you solution. I gave you a Holy Ghost. I gave you new creation. At any point in time, you could have asked me. At any point in time, I could have directed this. And at any point in time, you could have prevented it. Now, the variant on that is this. God often eliminates all of our shortcomings and our lack of knowledge or our spiritual blindness or our lack of education. He just eliminates them one by one, and they appear to be failures when they're actually eliminated. So, so, so you thought that's the way to go. What did he say? There are many thoughts in, in a man's heart. There are many plans, but the Lord's counsel is what will stand. So God has to get you weed out all of that stuff that's rivaling his counsel. Wow. And that's important. <clears throat> the difference is that here's what, what gets us. It could take years. Yeah. 
because he's operating on this 24-7 window. Now, he's finished. He's off in Omega. God's like, I was done with this before you were born. But I needed you to be born into it so that I can perfect it in you. So he was done with it. You know, he knows the material. He knows the spirit. He knows the soul and all of that. So as we go forward, we are going to understand how God thinks in terms of success, failure, efforts, and all of those tries and trials and all of that. I'm going to put together, I don't know, maybe in the foreseeable future, um, trials and to teach us to embrace our trials. Because it sounds like God's kind of sadistic, you know, like you send us out to do something and we fail. And, and we will believe that until we come to a realization. This is one you have to remember. We come to a realization that sin is exceedingly sinful. No matter how great we are, no matter how super we are, no matter how powerful we are, we are still God's, literally God's extremely downgraded product. And he's making us climb up day by day, event by event, situation by situation. Sin is exceedingly sinful. And if we ever had an opportunity to watch God's citizens, not just angels, because we often think God just has angels. But if we ever have or take the opportunity to watch God's angels at work, we will not in any way class ourselves as them. We still have to not put doors and hinges and locks up. Okay? In order for us to have a door open for us, we need a remote control something. Jesus, the key fob, or something like a thumb fob. And then, but Jesus walks on water. We're still waiting for a boat to pick us up. He's standing on turbulent waters in a storm. And this is Jesus in our version, you know, the, the Mary soul. And he's standing there, and he's walking, and he's his own light because light comes out of his eyes and lights around his being. And so we have moments of those glimpses of glory. Those are just glimpses. But in the end, we are still having this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of us. So what is God working? Is he working our treasures? Is he working our powers? No, he's working our fidelity. I cannot have a repeat of Lucifer in my world again. So if the, if, the, if the Christian, the child of God, does not accept that God is not a sole proprietor and not a lone ranger who is just having all kinds of fits just to break out of us, if we don't accept that particular impression that we're given as his people, then we can move forward in his business. We can't move forward if we think that God is the only thing that we have to negotiate and navigate in our lives. God has, he tells you, I've got kingdoms and thrones and dominions and principalities. I say, he told you what his heart is. He said, and all of them are populated. And all of them are regulated. So, that is what the occult is based on. The occult is based on the hierarchy of God minus God. That's what you see that in your games. They're defining kings. You see them in the video games. They're telling you what heaven is like. What they aren't saying is that they bombed out. So you have to 
I want you to think about this because, see, the reason people think that, you know, God's just not going to send anybody to hell is because they actually believe that God's a lone ranger and not that he has a realm of worlds, all of which different types of species of beings that he has decided to have a free will to choose him or not because before Lucifer fell, there was only one option, God. People didn't have to worry about decisions. They didn't have to worry about good and evil, light and darkness, right and wrong. They didn't have to do it, but there was one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it was Jesus' way or no way. And so there was no, none of that existed. All of that was bred when uh, the inevitable happened. And we have to recognize that in every plan, there is the inevitable. So when the inevitable happened, which was one of the creatures would exercise their free will to go contrary or counter to the maker. When that happened, that free will had to do what the Almighty did and generate his own system, order, beings, code, seeds, so that he could have a force that would back him, come from him, to oppose his maker. So he created, he created himself as, as an opposer. Now, the people are like, well, what's this? This is something new. I mean, are we not doing what the Most High said? Oh, we have to, what is this thought in my mind? I never thought about not obeying. I never thought about going into, I never thought about, see, now he's breeding creation with alternatives, giving people opportunity, but also objects to opt out of God. That didn't happen before. Now, so, now, God has to do some amazing things that we'll talk about in the future, but that's why time is temporal. Because time will end. Time hasn't always, we haven't always had time. We had existence. Everybody didn't have a, I mean, you didn't need a clock if everybody was doing the same thing. And everybody was instinctually doing what they need to do. Time wasn't, that, listen, life was not descending nor was it ascending. Life was static. It, it was level. When people ask me about, you know, time, like we're going to do time travel and whatever, well, you're either going to travel back and forth and all of that, but all of that was created for the alternative so that everybody, every, the will of both of these powers would have their moments. They would have their segments and sectors, etc. Because when this is all over, Revelation tells us time will be no more. Right. See, time is in God because he created it to catch his enemy and to cap him. So it caps him. Okay, we're going to give you 20 months and then you either finish or you're not or you're done. And he can't get around it. So time actually is a, a, an encumbrance for Satan and his regime and what he's doing because God didn't need time. He had people who loved him. He had people who served him. He had people who, never, who thought like him by nature, which is, which is his goal now that has to be done within the constraints of times and seasons. When before, there wasn't. Seasons were not a matter of an earth rotating in its world. Seasons where you lived over here, and you lived over here, and this is the weather here, and this is the season. This is the weather here, and it was beings 
doing what they were made to do. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> because <clears throat> until you understand that time is tied to sin and time was created to manage and regulate, navigate, negotiate sin. That's why time ages us. You know, she, we gave her her own, you, you know? Do you like having your own? I don't blame you. So think about it. What does time do? Time starts the death clock. Time exists for doom. Hey, you all right? No. <laughs> she said no. See, we don't look at it like that. And I have to share this because you have to, for you to understand and to appreciate why times and seasons are important. If you read the Ecclesiastes uh, list on what time is, it's about start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Because when you get out of the time zone of doom, you're in God's timeless eternity. You want to hear something? Because when you look at time, and I don't know why we're talking about time today, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to what I'm, where I was going. But when you, uh-huh, exactly, but time exists for doom, for death. Time is how God gets us in the planet so he, we can get him, he gets us out of himself, into the planet, and then into the grave, and then into his final disposition. Because when you think about time, time grows, but time kills. Doesn't it? Time breeds, and then time destroys. So why would God say, and time shall be no more, if in fact it was his original creation? So it was said, it was time was added, and time also does something else. It legislates. It dictates. So everything that that happened in Eden was not just simply about, you know, Adam and Eve eating from the forbidden tree. But God was saying, but there is, that is why he made it this way. He said there is a whole, and it's so pervasive and universal, the whole universe is bound to time. Because, that, I mean, you think about, how amazing this man is. He said, oh, okay, so you want to play like that? You want to do that? All right, here's what I'm going to do. So you, you understand that this, this angel become dragon serpent literally thought that when he infected the realm that he was in with his antipathies, did you see I used that word, antipathies, because that's really what's in it. It's the antithesis of what God created and installed and established in his creation. So when he infected, consummated his iniquity, his plan of iniquity, and he infected all creation with his antithesis, then, it, then we came down to choice. See, because free will was not a problem or a factor until that time. 
everybody agreed with God except this one little being. And he just had visions of what would happen if. And why do I have to? And it isn't right that we must. And aren't you tired of? Isn't that sound? That sounds very earthly, doesn't it? Well, it started out heavenly. And so when you think about what God did, God's response was time. He quarantined all that he did and assigned it in time. We don't, now, you know, this here, because you, 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 you'll get our, our scientific brains, we'll try to dispute that, but God just answered me with one thing, and time shall be no more. So he said if time is no more, and we call time temporal, what we say time, the early ancient world said temporal. That's where we got temporary from, okay, and temperate. So we got them all from that. But when you, when you read what God says, how time regulates everything in his creation, and it's a machine. Now, time's the machine. Creation is not. Creation is the being. Time is the mechanism that manages it. Okay. I, um, you know, I'm always stunned with where God is going. He always, he always does this to me. You know, but it is the Jesus and Paula show, so we've already decided that <laughs> Jesus calls the shots, but, you know. But when you read this, to everything, there is a season and a time to everything. Now, see, everything has a season. See, do you see the – does anybody see what I just said? Everything has a season and – Every purpose has a time. And when you look at it, everything has a season, every purpose. And he said, under the heaven. Why is it now like that? Because heaven has rid itself of the problem. Woe to the earth. Well, well, you know, I always get stunned on that word, you know. I'm like, but you guys are supposed to be the superpowers. Why are you woeing us? And then they answer it. But the devil has come down to you. He is mad because he has but a short time. See, time tied to him. And then he goes on to tell us where what time does. Time regulates. A time to be born and a time to die. That's the first thing we learn about time other than it's a tie to purpose. The first thing we know, learn about time is that it controls life and death. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Your harvest has a time, an appointed time. A time to kill. Oh, my God, Jesus, no, because God is love. Some folks, God's going to kill them. Some people need to be killed. They need to. He, the time means short window to get on my nerves. And a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. Now, how many of us have heard when you die, you know, when, when, you, when you hear the eulogy, don't you hear the eulogies? And they say, and the, and the preacher's all somber sounding. You know, oh, is a, a you know a time 
to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, and we go on, a time to break down and a time to break, <laughs> a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stone. That means y'all hoarders. All right. And a time... <laughs> Because you know we be holding on to stuff to time immemorial. <laughs> a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep. and a time. So if you go through this, and I've, I've gone through it, and, and I, I actually found out, I think if I'm, if I'm recalling it, some of you might um, help me, but it's like 28 phases of time that prophecies in the word of God and creation must travel through. And it's imposed on creation, and then it's imposed on all of its beings, creatures, and then it's imposed on its institutions, and then it's imposed on its nation. All of that's there. And the the only one who, who stops time, which we see with Joshua when they're fighting, the wall, he causes the rotation. So you can see Rotation dictates time. So he caused time to stand still by stopping the sun from going down. Now, although he stopped the sun from going down, that's all they mentioned, anybody who is an astronomer can tell you all of the elements and factors that went into that sun being held by God. Because he started time, so he stopped it. So he can use time to his advantage. Now, so but then what we want is that we, when he did it for Joshua, he didn't do it for Joshua to make sure his food didn't burn. <laughs> <laughs> he did it for Joshua, who was the head of a nation, who was in a combat where his nation was fighting for its life. And he stopped time to let us know, I stop, I run this. When we talk about the times and seasons, many of us realize you've been studying um, some of the the, uh, astronomical things, but you realize that time has sped up. Now, Jesus said that's what we are going to do. He said we're going to shorten the day for the very elect's sake, not just the elect but the elect of the elect, the creme de la creme of the elect. So he took and he said, I'm going to shorten time. And we look at days are shorter. How many of us remember days being long? I mean, even though we were kids, we were like, it's so boring because we, we didn't have enough to do to fill all those, those hours. Okay. We sat on the porch, we watched birds, whatever. You get older and it's like, no. But time, and so you thought it was your imagination until you realize when you study it that the days are indeed getting shorter because God is winding down creation. And so if they're getting shorter, then he has to be speeding up the rotation. 
how else are we getting shorter? Because he said, there'll be, let them be for days, the, the heavens, the days and times and seasons. See, uh, you know, this thing is, so, God got this thing so hooked up that he, you, you can understand, he is determined to never go through that again. I mean, never. When you think about it, he's got the earth is cursed, can only bring the dirt, can only bring death. He, he built that death factor in everything. Everything. He said, I downgraded the animals because you all jumped downstairs to go slumming with devils. Okay? And he said, but this man, is like he's, he's covered his bases. The earth, everything from the earth is literally bread, breathes death, everything. So he can write this through Solomon, who wrote this after he had messed up with God. Yeah. You know? He knew what God, and, and you know, in Proverbs, he knew who God was and why he did it. And that Ecclesiastes, vanity is all is vanity. Wait a minute, hold on, son, back up. How did you get <laughs> Okay, okay, just, I mean, just a few decades earlier, God was reigning. You know, I know that there's a hereafter and all of that. Now we have vanity, all is vanity. That means you emptied out the wisdom that God gave you, and you took on the wisdom of death and doom. I'm excited about this because I want you to understand what we're dealing with. You cannot be apocalyptic elect and not understand what that means, that what's in our power, what's in our hands, and all of that. I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, uh, even the fact that time to be born, and Satan's saying, well, you won't be born, he is a, he's affecting the timeline of that fetus or embryo. And what I say to Christians, I said, but I want you to understand. I say to the righteous, because see, not everybody's yet there with God, but they're moving in. But I say to the Christian, to the righteous, and to the godly, yeah, but when you can abort a, a blob of flesh, but that blob of flesh had how many other blobs in it that you have killed. So you're aborting the future. And that is, uh, we, have to, we have to work through that. So... When we think about it and, and everything, the whole thing is wrapped around this mechanism, this multi-layered, multi-dimensional mechanism called time exists to manage and assure doom brings creation to death. Because you name something, he sit there and tell you all the things that time do, does. Time will bring it in and then time will take it out. Time will start it, and then time will end it. Time will, will beget it, and then time will kill it. And everything. So I don't, you know, I'll tell you what, if I, whenever I can get to the point that we can have these kinds of discussions with real prophets, real apostles, and real ministers of the gospel, this has a lot of scientific implications in it. Social implications, because what we're saying is that God re-engineered his creation because adversity begot itself in it. This here is telling us the engineering structure of creation. And all the way down, and I've been studying this for a few years, I don't know, maybe 10 because, you know, with, with God, you do it, and you, then you go back to it, and then you, then you go back to it, and 
And then every time you go back, he's giving you enlightenment and revelation. And so when you read that, and it says, but here's, look at this. So we got a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rent or tear, and a time to sow. That means to mend. A time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. Oh, my goodness. That can't be a bottle. A time to hate, that can't be a God. A time of war and a time of peace. So from verses 1 through 8, we look at all of the things and all of the parallels that time manages. And it says, I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. And then verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has set the world, listen, set the world in their hearts so no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. Now, that is a, a powerful phrase, a statement that we, we should explore just a tad. What do you think? Just a little tad. Because that is one of the things that, again, it's, it's replete. It's flush with answers, wow. all kinds of answers. And so here we are, when we look at it, in 11, in Ecclesiastes 3:11. Now, but what is he saying? So if I look at, for example, I'm going to go through some of these versions to see what he's saying. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Moreover, he has set eternity in their heart, yet without the possibility that human can, humankind can ever discover the work that God has done from beginning to end. When you're born again, what do you get? A new heart. I really want, I'm, I want to look at some of these. I want you to look at some of these um, perspectives because it's important that we realize the whole he has made beautiful in its season. Also, when I think of that, there are so many ways to look at it, but one of my prison perspectives is when God came to the planet to replenish earth, what did he do? He came to an ugly, demolished, non-existent, non-productive planet, and then it, the season had come for it to be replenished. And then, and then he put in their heart, and he said, and that knowledge he has put in their heart. So he put eternity in our heart. Every human being is born with eternity in their heart. Now, what they do with it or where they want to spend eternity, that's a whole other thing. So we, um, but look at that, and then we have... Um, God's word, it is beautiful how God has done everything at the right time. He put a sense of eternity in people's minds. Yet mortals still can't grasp what God is doing from the beginning to the end of time. We still, he wrote it down. Spirit and the bride say come. We got all of it. As much as it wasn't redacted by the enemy. So when we look at this, and I really, I'm saying this because I want you to have a sense of what it means, or, or what God is doing. Now, we are at a place in Price University where we're coming up on uh, enrollment and things like that, okay? It's important that we understand what we do differently and why we're different. Now, part, the spirit of prophecy is one of the things that I'm going to lightly address and gloss over 
um, in Revelation 19, where we say what? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. How many of you all have heard that quoted completely? Because it's been, well, it's pretty much shortened that it's the spirit of prophecy. So this is the spirit of prophecy. Um, but John, Jesus' close buddy, says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. And he says what? The spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. See, so there are ways to assess, to examine and inspect a spirit, the spirit that delivers a prophecy. So two things, we already know two things. And it says that every, every spirit that says he does not come in the flesh is not of God. God has one being that he's backing, he's empowering, he's utilizing and standardizing for creation, and that is Jesus Christ, who started immortal, did a stint in, started immortal, did a stint in immortality, and then went back to being immortal. Because remember, we just read, eternity is in our hearts. People want to live forever. They can't figure it out. The whole of the scientific community is about beating the enemy called death and doom. That's their effort. We're going to wipe out cancer. We're going to wipe out this. We're going to have a permanent fountain of youth. We're going to, and we can go on. Can't we? But in the end, the one thing they don't want to deal with is that that death is in the heavens, the angels that they're crediting with creation. So a dead angel made living beings. Okay? Or the ground, the ecology. So astronomy and ecology are against them, as well as time, because it's built in everything. So everything has a time in it. That's what we just learned from Ecclesiastes 3, that everything is bound, regulated by time, and time was imposed, invented and created to be imposed on creation by God. Time. So everything is locked in. Now, one of the things that I learned over the years of digging into this was that until uh, Adam ate, he was over time, superior to time. He was not subject to it in in the sense that we see now. So Adam could have lived forever, but when time entered, aging came. When Adam came under the curse of time on the serpent, when he internalized that curse himself, he started to age. And Adam lived 930 years, and he died. And -and so-and-so lived so-and-so, and he died. Everybody's at the age of age speaking to what? The clock going down in corruption because his spirit was dead. It couldn't keep him alive. And you might say, you know, Dr. Price, I don't know why we need this. I mean, why do we have to have this? We're church, we're Christians, we're saved, we're going to heaven. The problem is because we didn't have this, we couldn't defend our king. We did not have the language. We did not have the words. We did not have any of the articulation that, for arguments that we needed. So billions of dollars are going into this futile effort of defeating a time to be born. 
in a time to die. Billions of dollars. Now, did good things come out of it? Yes, but, you know, good things can come out of anything because we have light and darkness, good and evil. But, again, even that counts. Everything, everything in God's creation is subject to time. Time's running out. All right, 10, 9, 8. Name any element of your day that is not affected by or attended to by time. Time to get my hair done. Time to get my nails done. Time to fix dinner. Time to get on my way. Time to prepare. Why? Because time regulates mortality, morbidity, doom, and death. Time is how God curtails this devil, but also allows himself space to overturn or repair what he's done. Sugar pie, Jesus. So we're at a point where where people are asking, you know, where's the prophecy? How did it happen? And, and why did this and that and all of that? And you know, my attitude about the whole presidential thing is that, yeah, but all you did was read the signs of time. You didn't read the soul of the maker. So you read the time to sign. I said, I just see he's going to get elected. Did you see the plan? Because there are people behind the scenes who understood why that should not have happened if we were going to have a United States. But you didn't see that because a, a, a divinatory prophet is only excited about hearing or seeing what they say is the, will of, is the word of the Lord happen. That's it. That's all they want. They don't care about the project, the ventures, the cause, because they can't think on a high level. They lack prophetic wisdom and intelligence. All they have is views or imagery and utterance. That's all they have. Imagery and I see, I saw, the Lord showed me. I used to run with a lot of these folks who are doing this, and one of the things I realized is that they actually didn't get the words from God anyway. They actually... We were, we were there, and they were, isn't that the truth? They just said, so what is God saying to you about? Well, what are you saying? Well, I was just thinking, well, what do you say? Well, how, how are we saying? And the bigger you are, the more your word on the matter took hold. So then you go out, and instead of being prophets, they become parrots. <laughs> Predictive parrots. Because they all agree. See, you don't understand, we got all of these false prophets agreeing, and we got all of the media agreeing, and the false prophets are agreeing with the media. So that calls them, that means they're false, because we have a media that won't let us, won't let us even get a hint of the truth, because they all know that this thing is falling down. Prophet agrees with a false journalist or a false messenger. And right now we have a media that's a false messenger. Now it's interesting because there is a demon called the many-eyed demon, and that spirit is supposed to be the power behind media and journalism. See, nothing happens 
in the flesh until the spirit assigned to it goes into action. Who will go down and kill Ahab, who will deceive him and go down and kill Ahab that I might get him off my planet? Paul of Christ <laughs> And it said God had a meeting, and this is in First Kings. God had a meeting, and in his meeting, all the hosts of heaven had to come. Can you imagine God telling everybody, we got to all come to this meeting? I mean, you know, you better be God, because what, what, what kind of meeting hall are you going to have? You need to be God. Or are they constructed to stay where they are and project, be drawn in by his spirit? So, God. So, anyway, we have, so he has this meeting, and one said, well, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And, and so God is just listening, but God is a God of truth. He truth is a particular frequency that is God. So when the truth is said, there's a harmonious chord or accord that joins the sound of truth. So here we are. I want you to listen to this because this is very interesting. And so here we are. They've all said, I'm going to do this and I'll do that and on and on and on. And so one said, I'll do it. Now, everybody is, he's got this ridiculous roar in his being because everything's in him. He's got this ridiculous roar going on, and people are, I'll do this and I'll do that and everybody. But he knew all of them were hoping but unconvinced of what they were going to bring. So they were proposing, and he didn't need somebody to propose. He needed someone who could achieve. So the achiever spoke because several things come out of that example. And so he said, hold on. And we see it similarly in the New Testament when the woman touches the hem of his garment. So we know it's the same Jesus. So we're back here in this, this angelic meeting, and he said, oh, really? He didn't say why or anything. He said, how will you do it? Why? Because he's been listening to all of this roar of howls. Why did that howl break through? How will you do it? He said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. He said, you will do it and you shall prevail. He said, I'm backing that truth. Even though that truth is getting ready to go down as a a lie, in God's realm, truth reigns. And so it was true that this spirit was going to do it. Why? What is it that made God say, well, yeah, you're the one? And the thing is that it was already working. See, that spirit wasn't even proposing. It was reported. Okay? Because it was the lying prophets that got him in the war. And it was the lying prophet that told him he was going to win. It's the lying prophet that sold delusion in his soul. So now, the Ahab's time has come. Time has come. His time has come, and now God's ready to replace him. But everything
anything from God is immediately given to a spirit, and the spirit gets to choose or appoint the human. See, we don't teach the spirit realm the way it's functioning. So until God gives you the spirit of what you're called to do, you'll have mediocre success, or you'll be on again, off again, which is why he is so specific and he is so emphatic about who's going to do anything in his name because he's got to assign you either a spirit of truth or a spirit of seduction or a spirit of error or a spirit of a lie. He's got to assign you the spirit based on your constitution, your mortal, solical constitution, and your mindset or your intent. That is why he talks about Prophets walking in an unclean spirit. Because, see, your talent will function, but whether or not your talent has been purged and sanctified is a whole other thing. That state of of your talent and your gift that you want to use at that given point in time determines what type of spirit God gives you. Take Saul. We want to say that there was no distressing spirit from God. That God wouldn't send us. Because you're serving a God that can only, only operate one type. I serve the omni-God. See, God is over all types. And he said, because all live to him, and it's all his handiwork. So Saul had a test. That's why I want you to understand we need to change our perspectives and our view about tests. Saul had a test to see if God would give him the spirit of success or the spirit of seduction. So Saul failed the test. And when he failed the test, the spirit that God, the, the, the same thing with Adam, the, the deciding factor spirit that God gave him to be king was replaced by the, the spirit that he surrendered to, that he succumbed to. And so he gave him a crazy spirit. But how do you know that? Well, when he was in the, with the prophets, what did he have? A crazy spirit. Saul was crazy. And it was, uh, and it was up to how he handled the test to determine if he would reign in that insanity or, or would he reign in God's righteousness. It was his decision. I'm going somewhere. So I need you to recognize that that the fact that we don't assess people, we don't test people, we don't try people, and we affirm them in their error and in their mediocrity and in their incompetence and ineptitude mm-hmm. says we don't understand how God keeps kingdom. Wow. See, because God has to keep kingdom. He, know, he knew the minute that he allowed that spirit to overtake Saul, his people through Saul's leadership and governance, would be ruined and wrecked because of Saul's insanity. So there would be insane laws, don't we? There'll be insane judgments, insane self-serving legislation. There would be things that his, his nation was about to be ravaged or continue the ravagement that it had under Eli. 
So you want to get God's word on today, then you need to sit down and go through this again and read it again. Saul's, that distressing spirit wasn't something that knew. Saul, his whole life, which means he was an erratic businessman. He was an erratic leader. He was irrational in all of his things because he was presumptuous and self-servant. So now God puts that on the throne of a nation. And on the throne of a nation, he has, he, where he would have intervened, where he could have intervened, where he could have used this, this sovereign, this new form of leadership to redeem his people, to recover them and recoup them, where he could have done that, he instead had to let them go and surrender them to the very spirit that had brought them to the predicament that they were in. It's important that you get this. I need you to hear this. See, don't you see Saul on the throne today? Crazy as a loon. And yet they keep telling us the Bible is outdated. Absolute. I was like, are you kidding? Honey, this is a 21st century reenactment. Nothing new. You read Saul's record and you see today's political front. It's important that you recognize that. So when we get back to heaven, so this lion spirit says, I can do it. I'm going to be a lion spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. That's pretty potent since he had over 400. And they all agreed on the lie and to the lie. One voice, that is the power, the spiritual power of group thinking. Four hundred people who are supposedly representing the God of the land all agree that the prophecy from one person or a couple of prophets at the time that the prophecy of the chosen few will be wrong because they are actually seeking to that spirit to make their words come to pass. They hope, Ezekiel says, they hope their words will be fulfilled. They're prophesying out of their own heart, but what was put in the heart. So that spirit, that lion spirit gave dreams, gave words. That lion spirit gave conversation. That lion spirit facilitated prayer. That lion spirit did his job. Prayer, praise. He was a prayer captain. He chose the prayer captain. He chose him. He chose him. There you go. He wrote from Secretion. Yeah. Now, why? He, because they, in that mind, huge numbers equal accuracy. In God's mind, his text equals reality. So God is operating on what he has said, been saying, always said. And Satan has been, is operating on what he has done, will always do, and is doing at the moment. Right. He even had them write him Bibles and write him texts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's how we got all that junk coming on down now. 
So the spirit of prophecy, obviously we can play with that and dig into that quite a bit, but I want to move on because what, I have, what we have in our school, for those of you who are prophets and looking for quality education, because by now you want one. See, before it was you and just you and Tifa. <laughs> but you understand, you can't even, you can't recognize the Jesus. <laughs> because you see, the name alone is not enough to verify or corroborate the right person. Here, Revelation says, for the, the angels, remember, now how does this angel know this? Do you think they have prophecy classes in heaven, or do you think that there's an archive? So angel, the angel said, I love this, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is that spirit? The Holy Spirit. He said, when he comes, he will testify of me. He will take of what is mine and show it to you. So we gave you Holy Spirit classes where you learn to sing and, you know, kind of ramble better and call it prophecy. But that is not how the Holy Spirit of God did it. Because the Holy Spirit of God that begot Jesus in the flesh trained the apostles on God's history, his archives, his destiny, his purposes, his word, his actions, his testimony, his laws, his government, his statutes, his will, his service, his worship. Are you getting me? That is a comprehensive prophet. Now, if God only gave you a little piece, because some of y'all, little piece, I'm going to get you. If he only gave you a little piece, that means you have a little portion. What are you reading your scriptures? No, y'all did. I'm going to have to talk to you about your friend. I won't even ask what else they taught you. I'm not even going to ask. Amen. Now, I just rattled off what we can classify as a comprehensive prophet or messenger. Let's just say messenger of God, not just minister. See, we have ministers who are not messengers. In other words, we have kings who are not priests and priests who are not kings, one side or the other. So, how do you do it? I mean, what do we do? We, when people give me a prophecy, now I do it in my brain, but I used, to have to, I used to have a chart that I did, and we have something called, which is actually our chief prophet's favorite thing, prophecy diagnostics. If anybody bit onto this in our first class years ago, how do you diagnose prophecy? By making your prophet a diagnostician. See, we don't, we don't examine prophecy anymore. We don't talk about prophecy like we did before. Now, if, if he said God said it, who's to say he isn't? Me. 
I want you to understand that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Hosea, and all of those prophets that prophesied Israel's downfall, I want you to understand, they said, this is not the word of the Lord. Did they not? They said it. Anybody hear me? So 400-plus prophets around the nation were wrong. Now, I will say this to you because, you know, I've been attacked under this. I'm kind of, you know, hey, you know, first of all, when you come to the attention like, like that, you probably have rose up pretty big. So I will tell you, I said about this election, I said I was praying and the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God said, pray for, is getting him inaugurated. So what did that say? That means he'll win the election but not be inaugurated. See, diagnostics. See, so you can't just listen to what it said. You've got to explore what it means. You've got to turn that thing around and say, wait a minute, but isn't it automatic that an elected official is automatically inaugurated? But God is saying the inauguration will be held up. That's what God told me. And so we think only single-dimensional. When, when you are a prophesier, when all you do is just give the word of the Lord, you are a single-dimensional prophet lacking perceptivity and discernment and skill, etc. Unskilled people just become articulate. It doesn't mean that they become intelligent. No, but <laughs> because just because you can say something that God said and it happened doesn't mean that you're a prophet. Because really, you have to find out who the you you received the prophecy. But who did God give the prophetic project to? Ezra five one. Wow. Who did God give the prophetic project to? To work the wonders and work the work of God. Anybody hearing me? See, so I got, you got the word about the election, which was you didn't get the word that you're, you didn't even get the information from God that it was, how come you didn't get that? How come you didn't get the farce? How come you did not get immigration? How come you didn't get the con, the political ploy? You didn't get any of that because the project wasn't given to you just a prophecy. Because when you have a project, and my team could talk to you about projects all day long, you have more, the the word is just the name, becomes the name of the project. Project, fix this. Project, expose this. Project, build the wall. Project, build the temple. Project, see, you didn't get the project. Because he gives projects to the officers. Because projects come through the institution. Isn't that what we have? So I have people, I'll say, go and and go and tell so-and-so to do thus and what, and you'll go and you'll say it maybe accurately. And there are so many people who feel like I don't know how I'm phrasing things, so they rephrase it for me. But, I'll say, go and tell Ashley we need to meet at 2 o'clock because so-and-so is happening. That could be the prophecy. 
So you are the prophesier. Meanwhile, when she gets to me, I'm like, pull up a chair. We have to map out this project. Because even if the project is contrary to what God wants, it exists because you are to exercise the authority and the dominion that God gave you to bring his word to pass. Elijah had a project, and his project was to make it rain. You know, God gives you light stuff. You know, light stuff. Stop, stop, stop the sun. Make it rain. So his project was to make it rain. Now, that's not your top thing. When you're a novice and a, a newcomer or entrant into the prophetic, you will not be asked to make it rain. Because God's got to make sure that you are going to stay with him for the long haul. So much of what, you're, what God had you do in the beginning is testing your fidelity, your, your endurance, your loyalty, and whatever. So you won't be asked to do that. Now, I know you'll yell at the sky and whatnot, and devils will make you say that, but that's not how it works. Because you can't make it rain until you, become, you, you receive the internal of the project you must bring to pass. There has to be internals, and those come from line upon line and precepts upon precepts. On we go. So Elijah, Elijah had to make it rain. And he had to make it rain because he had caused the drought. He was like, I need you to, uh, I said three and a half years. Wonderful thing about God's timing, he never goes past his timing because it's anchored, it's hooked. It's interlaced with something else. So he has to go. So he, he goes and declares, what, declares it's going to rain, and it's no rain. Meanwhile, the rest of the project is getting the people ready for the breakthrough, the harvest to come. So they're in a drought. They're in famine. We've got drought. We've got famine. Is that right? Because eventually we are going to have famine. So the king is futile, hopeless. The people are dying. He's watching them in the street. He would love to make it rain before three and a half years have passed, but that's not the word of the Lord. So why? Because it had been etched in time. It had a time to come forth. So, so we go on, and I think I have a class. What is it? Prophecy timeline. Is that one of our self studies? I, I encourage all of you to take that self class, you understand that you're screaming and shouting and frothing and slinging money up at God and whatnot, can't move time. Time's fixed. It's rigid. It can't move God. So your job is to get with a prophetic project performer and project holder and find out what the timeline is. Find out when it's going to happen. Because you have to go through all these time to sell. So you got, there's a time in your prophecy for somewhere. So anyway, so he goes, and he can't, he can't kickstart the, 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 the rain. He can't break the word of the Lord. See, there are things that people do. You know, I just recently went through that. I removed a prophet, and all of these other younger prophets and younger people are using that prophet, breaking the word of the Lord. An official will never break God's word, ever because they know the consequences. The consequences is that that judgment is going to reverberate on their lives. Because the judgment cannot be stopped. 
See, some of you all need to know that because your ministries are going to go through hell because you couldn't be judicious enough to know God's word will stand. He said, nevertheless, it is my word that will stand. Because to you all, and we're all ministers, I am not. I'm an agent of the Godhead. I am I, I'm more than sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I sit beside him on his throne. Moses and God had a unique relationship. Isn't that true? Abraham and God. And they got God's judgment. He said to Moses, I'm going to give you my judgment. And so poor judgment or emotional judgment cannot break the word of the Lord, but it will make you partaker of its manifestation. You cannot say somebody is a this or a that and then decide, I disagree with that, so I'm going to intervene. You cannot reverse the word of the Lord. All you can do is intrude in something that was not given to you. Oh. An intrusion is trespass. Oh. My God. Oh, God. <laughs> Saul broke the word of the Lord. He didn't agree with Moses who received the prophecy or Joshua or all of the others predecessors. He didn't agree with them that Amalek was supposed to be destroyed from under heaven. He disagreed. See, prophecy diagnostic. Is this the word of the Lord? Is this God or is this flesh? Is this an official or is this a novice or an intruder? See, diagnostic. Saul did not agree with God, and it cost him his kingdom. He disagreed with the harshness of the Holy Ghost. He disagreed with the, the immutability of God's word. And instead, he favored the opinions of the people. So what did he do? He exercised his authority to keep Agag alive. A true prophet, Samuel, for instance, would never break God's word because he understands that God gave such a word for a God reason. So he's like, he became the people's king. But it cost him everything to disagree with God's judgment. Judgment that you could find in Scripture. So if you can't find it, that's something else. I don't care if you tell, I tell somebody they look good in red and you tell them that they look good in blue. I don't really care about that. Red, blue, lips be covered. <laughs> okay, basic. So the prophet who was governing the nation, who was about to expire, and thus is handing it over to a new regime, says, goes to Saul, so did you do what God told you to do? Yeah. Did you do it all? Yeah. Why are you asking? He said, because I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ear. <laughs> your, your, the evidence is, is singing around you. But when you get locked into disagreeing with God, you can't see evidence. You can't hear truth. Because now your self
ego, that ego side of you is taking over and it's guarding its error. Because the error was inspired by an unclean spirit. But if he said, who's going to go down? Who's going to go down? And what? Deceive Ahab that I might kill him, get him off my planet. See, because you're a churchian and because we're all about religion and not redemption, we don't get what God is doing. God said he is ministering judgment. He says that I'm administering judgment. He said, and I am raining down righteousness. He said, and I'm legislating the eternal realm so that the mortal realm will be protected and maybe be spared what we know is coming. So Samuel said, well, why am I hearing the bleeding of sheep? And what did he say? His first word, the people. He did not say the Lord, the people. The people wanted to keep a few things for themselves. And we thought that the, all of the treasures that you told me to burn, because this was the harvest or the hoard of an adversarial deity, could be sanctified because we're your chosen. Wow. You know what we do now? We're doing that right now. Okay? So God, Samuel, charged Saul with witchcraft because he knew it was the witchcraft spirit of that nation and that king's guardian angel that caused him to disobey the commandment of the Lord. And he said, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. So that wit- that means a witch, the witchcraft spirit that was protecting Agag, because all people walk in the name of their God. Should I shut up? Oh, shut up now. All people walk. So that king, Saul keeping him alive, brought another spirit, the spirit of another nation, in his people, into his land, which was why God wanted. God knows whether or not a situation that he is sending you to take care of is principality, uh, if, if it's royal, if it's a throne, if it's principality, if it's a ministering spirit, and they all have different powers, spheres of dominion. So if God chose a spirit to populate itself in people. Then when he gets ready to take out that that king, he's got to take out his people because it has used the genetic reproductive material of the human in its line to reproduce itself. So getting rid of all of Agag's people was not sufficient. It was insufficient simply because, say simply because, the king could reproduce himself and bond with Israel, bond with God's people. So a hybrid, they would reproduce a population of hybrids. So God has always been fussy about who people marry and who they reproduce by because everybody walks in the name of their God. And then Brother Jeremiah said, but we're going to walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. Everybody 
Everyone walked. See, you can play these games. Like, they're playing all these games right now. All these people are, are walking in the name of their God. So they're, we, we've become polytheistic. So Agag says, I mean, so Saul says, why did you do that? And then here come Agag. <laughs> we got a treaty. <laughs> we, we made a pact. <laughs> then he coming. He's like, I'm part of the I'm now part of the royalty. I'm part of the monarchy. He's a king. I'm a king. Saul said, I kept him alive to train me. Essentially, that's what it was. Because then we're going to get some lessons or get some classes, you know. So, Agag is coming as an equal. Really, like you said, more like a mentor. I'm like, this, you're a new king. Your nation has never had a king before. We're going to train your king in the ways of Agag. But when time came, he would just have to kill Saul and be king. See, we don't think high enough. We're so busy thinking church pew. We cannot even fathom what God is dealing with, what he's going through every day when he gives us his word. So Agag is like, uh, I'm, I'm so, Agag is like, hi. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, we, we made a pact. Did you know that? Yeah. Pretty soon we're going to be equals. We're not brothers. Yeah. But not the prophet who rules a nation. Sam was like, I done built this thing up. I done led all of these wars. I've taken all of these out. And you're going to tell me what? And he said he hacked Agag to peace. In front of everybody To let everybody know When God says don't, don't When he says no, it's no And he wasn't going to have that spirit of witchcraft Take over his land Not that early Now you'll have the Christians to say But God is love, he is, he loved this nation he loved his land. He said that Israel is my land. I handpicked that. This is my land. So I'm not giving it to another God because all sovereigns have a deity. Every single one. They hide them, but they have their secret meetings. They're part of secret societies. In these secret societies, they're plethora of polytheistic beings. There they get to pick one. Isn't it wonderful that we're not that? So he has him to pieces. Now understand that Saul knows it's over, but God can't fire him right away because who's going to sit on the throne and who's going to keep it for David? So God is ready. He already knew Saul was going to fail, but he had to let people know how a monarchy, how leadership or government should not be, so that when he gave them the one that would protect them and nourish them, they receive it and not call it cowardly. They'd appreciate peace. So what did the prophet do? So you have people that say, well, you know, I just think that's not God. And what, it's, it's God's word. He's not. A, do you think God is embarrassed by your disagreement? Your disagreement doesn't embarrass him. You embarrass yourself in front of his invisible creatures because we're entertaining angels unaware. So you are an embarrassment to God's realm. But he's not embarrassed about your disagreement and yours. 
So what is the, what's the point? Israel was a nation. That was capital punishment. See, because you hear people say, well, I mean, do you, are you supposed to stone them or not? If it's not your nation, you ought not to stone them because you're obligated to the laws of your land. Right. Every nation has its own government, its own laws. And so Samuel was the highest official in the land until Saul. And so Saul failed in his duty to exterminate uncleanness and to prevent unclean reproduction of other deities in God's land. See, that's why we're where we are today. So you have all these pastors don't have a clue about eternal government. They just they just happy to have, you know, people in the pew. Right, right. And funds in the bank. That's it. They don't care about your afterlife. They don't know that this thing, time, this thing, this entire network and this entire system that God set up is systemic. It is a systemic. Time is systemic. It's not just a system. It is systemic. Look up systemic in your own time. And so he knows Saul. Uh, Saul doesn't know. Saul is like, all I know is they made me king and I was scared. <laughs> then they sent me to war and I was terrified. And I didn't want to be killed, so I brought their king back so I could learn how to be king. Because God so distrusted Saul's, um, Saul's character that he didn't bother training him. So it's wonderful for you to say, God told me not to go to school. You know why? Because he has your replacement going to school. <laughs> she couldn't even help herself. <laughs> See, your replacement is in school doing homework. You out playing and you out exercising your gift. You're spreading your your, your divinatory prophecies. Now, that's not to say every prophesier is a diviner. That is not to say that. But God's prophecies are not his prophetic or his official prophet executions or discharge of the office, which is fully just like the offices you go to work and enter. It's, it's equipped. And if it's not, what do you do? The first thing you do is stock it. And he stocks it through our mantles. So what we do is we have something called prophecy diagnostics. You understand now that I can really do the diagnostics. All right? And it's a depiction of diagnostic uh, profiles, scoring categories, and subheadings. We have an assessment for prophets, prophesiers, and prophetic people. I have an assessment for five folders. And, and when you enter uh, or, or try to enroll in Price University, once you get past that application stage, you get to take the assessment. Now, you do not have to be enrolled in Price University to take the assessment. What you do have to be, pay for it. <laughs> Go to my website, drpaulaaprice.com. Now, I have people who take this assessment and they cherry pick what they want and, and they use what they feel is necessary to train and equip their people. But if you're called to equip prophesiers, then, well, that's very different. If you're called to 
to well, some people some people are only called to equip prophesy to teach you how to prophesy. You know what they say? Yeah. I'm only here to teach you how to prophesy. Well, I'm not. I'm not here to make you an agent of the Godhead, an official of the kingdom. I am not here to teach you how to execute the office of the prophet. I'm here to give some sort of intelligence or coherence. I won't even say intelligence. Coherence to the, your voice when the Lord is using it. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I'm the mic trainer. I train the mic. I'm the sound people. Yeah, that's it. Tap tap tap. Okay. Now. So the assessment is in three levels, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. If you are just a prophesier, you will kind of hover around the beginning or the beginner range because all you can do is hear God or see and say. That's, that's, what you're, that's how God uses you, and it will tell you that. So is that important? Yeah, because you know, you don't want to tie up the prophets in your organization with C and say when God just wants to make a comment, commentary, speak a message. You don't want to tie them up. That's a, a, a waste of their skill sets. Then there is the intermediate. Now, usually your, inter, your intercessors, if they are somewhat prophetic, then they'll come up beginner. If they're not prophetic, they won't register. They won't chart on this assessment. And then we'll tell them which one to take, which is the fivefold. Often we urge people to take the MAQ, the five-fold assessment, first so you can find out if it's worth it to invest in the profit. So we encourage you to do that. Then there's the intermediate where the majority of the people who take it, would you all say, all? The majority of long-term profits fall in the intermediate category. Would you say that? All right. Now, why am I saying that? Why is that so important? Because that is the force. That's the field force. That's the staff. There's nothing wrong with it. So that, that means that's that ongoing day-to-day routine taking care of God's divine communications sphere. That's what it's about. Nothing wrong with that. But, but even that has levels, you know, low, medium, and high within that. Each one has that. And then we have the advanced uh, prophetic assessment, PAQ, we call it. And that one is for the people who are in that top tier. Now, these are the people who should be prophets to government, prophets to business, prophets to leaders, whatever. Intermediates should not be a prophet to a high power. Something's wrong with that picture. You don't have the, I mean, you don't have the reach, and God's not giving you the data. Is that all right? So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We introduced this on the subject of truth. He says, no one comes, by the, comes to the Father but by me. So truth is a being, which is why the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Anybody hear what I just said? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am how, I'm God's way of life, which is on the path of truth. And then he says over here in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them, Father, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. So I want to show you just a little something you might appreciate. I know you all can't see it, but I have a magnifier. This is what we do um, to take reading and hearing and turn it into acting and doing. 
And so we call that, I call these my HK, the principal how-tos for this. Let me see if I can get it. Can you all see it? I'll read the principal how-tos for new knowledge instruction. Number one, you have to determine how you're going to view it. You must figure out how you're going to look at it. Are you going to look at it according to the lens of the past, the lens of the future, the lens of your denomination? If you're calling it prophecy, you probably want to look at it according to Scripture, which is Jesus Christ, because Jesus is a person. He's a, he's a being. God is a person. He's a being. He's spirit because he wants to make sure he covers everything that he ever brings into existence. But he's also corporeal so that if people need to get a vision of him or an impression of him, he shows up as Jesus. That's how he does it. So, um, and then how to think through what you read or learn. You're going to have to go through what it takes to think through what you read or learn. How to act on what you read or learn. How to build on what you read or learn. And lastly, how to act on what you read and learn. But actually, it should have been how to teach what you read and learn. Put teach in there. So, that, those, are, those are the, the keys that help you diagnose prophecy, but any material, any literature, how are you going to use it? Because the whole purpose of literature is action, is implementation. And if you don't have an implementation consciousness on what you take in, then you're just going to have a head full of knowledge and facts and details that is useless to anybody. That is why your job, your interviews have tests. They test you. So this is our HK signpost, and it says, again, how to look at it, how to think about it, how to understand it, how to assimilate it, how to act on it, how to discuss it, how to walk it out how to teach it, how to practice it. So you can, I'll take a picture of that if you want, you can actually become a scholar if you just take time to literally granularize what you take in. Most people don't have that time because you want your vision to happen fast. You like that early labor. You like premature labor. I don't have time to wait for nine months. I'm going to go and get induced. So when you, as we, we get, go forward in this, just to show you, when we decide that we're going to show you, and I am showing you if you can see, when we decide, when we do our diagram of prophetic aptitude, we have a whole, I mean, a body, pages of criteria, benchmarks, standards, etc. Now, why is that important? Because I did something very phenomenal. I created a career path for prophets and apostles, a career path. So what does that mean? That means that when they finish the training, they then go through our prophetic assessment, prophetic advisor training, which if you go to, what is it, prophetic, prophetic hyphen ed, you can get a chance to read up on it. They then can tell you about God's word. They can tell you how God's doing it, and you can say, with well, Dr. Price, I don't know if that's right. Uh, Jethro found Moses working long, long hours telling people who they are to God, what they're called to do, the work they're going to do, and how not 
to offend God. That is a prophet's job, not what we have today. This is not the it's okay prophetic company. It is not that everything is okay prophetic company. This is our God is a serious God. Our God is a holy God. So all this unholiness that you're hearing and you're following, those are not prophets of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're tatted, they're pierced. After being in God, after entering the office, they have been picked up by a divining spirit that is a Balaam prophet. And you need to have the criteria to know the difference. Because it's your soul that's on the line. It's your health that's on the line. It's your job, your career, your wealth, your future, your purpose, or destiny are all on the line with people who are, like we saw with Saul, joining you to another God. Prophesying you to another God. Now, I'm wrapping this up, but I want you to see it. We have a number of things. So, but I want you to see it because it's important that you know when, when we speak on a prophet, we make an assessment or judgment. It is not something imaginary. It is factual. And we take all of the terminologies and we, we flip them into anatomy. We anatomize. All of the terminology, we anatomize our theology because we know it's a being. God is a being and not a thing. So that is why when they're trained, they are trained in apostolic prophetic Bible education because the premise of which is there is a technology to our theology. Because if it's a being, then there has to be a technology, a way to make it so. So God said, let there be light, and we got light. Theology, God, logic, whatever said, physical or physicality followed. I need you to think differently about the prophetic. I need you to think differently about God. I need you to stop thinking like a church congregation and start thinking like an heir to a kingdom. Because kingdom heirs don't think like church few people. They don't imagine it. And what we have done is we've put the tag kingdom out there, and we have not told you anything about the king, how his duties, his responsibilities, his obligation. God has deals he cut. He, with that whole Amalek thing, the, you know, that Agag thing, that was a deal God cut, and they broke his deal. He said to, um, he said to Jonathan, you're, you're, I will never sever this. He's going to sit at my table forever. The son lame in the feet. He has deals, and you need to read the Bible to understand the deals he cut that he cannot break because his word cannot return to him void. God's a deal maker. He cut a deal. He will tear down five nations to see to it that his word never fails. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will not. And all we're thinking about is our little prophecy truffles. Our little tasty delights. You know? We're not thinking about the fact that God has deals on the line. He will tear down 50 nations if that's what it takes. And we don't know that. You walk in there and say, well, that just doesn't seem right. And that doesn't, you have no idea what God calls right. And one of the things he calls right is that his word never fails. He calls that right. That's his righteousness. My word will never fail. I will never cease to have. David will never cease to have a man before me on the throne. So what did he do? All mortals were cutting up. He put an immortal man on David's throne. He said, no, okay, fit. Done. 
we can go on, but I think you get the point. We have run out of time. I've gone over a couple of minutes, and so I don't want to uh, belabor the point. We will be back Sunday at the embassy, home of the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands. I encourage you to share, 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 and, well, share. And after that, just share some more. And so, see, I'm breaking you through. If you allow this word to permeate your being and to begin to take root in your soul, assimilate it in your everyday life and conversation, you will get answers from God that you're looking for. I'm also giving you ways to defend yourself from false prophets and false prophecy. You can ask these questions. I have a book, and it's right here. I put it out. It's a wonderful book. It's called Assessing Your Prophetic Self. You can assess the prophets that are in your life. You can assess the prophecies that are in your life by assessing your prophetic self. Why is it your prophetic self? Because everything is God's prophet, but not everything is in God's office. See, everything that's all his people, when God's in you, you've got the voice. You've got the talker. But that doesn't mean that you're in his office or trusted with his projects. This whole thing that the world has happened, this is a failure of the process. It's a failure of the church. We don't want to talk about it, but it isn't. We had nepotism. We had clanism. We had friendshipism. We had the divination. We had errancy. We had all of that because in our minds, we don't have to really take God seriously or see anything physical, material, neurological, or anatomical about him until we get to his world. And so we lost this world because we misunderstood his purpose and misunderstood why he put heaven on earth. This is a powerful thing. And so I really want you to continue. We might get back to this again. I used to say I'm going to do it next week, but since it's the Jesus and Paul show, he keeps pulling rank. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know, I'm, like, he's, I, I'm taking over. I'm saying it. This is what I want. Because God knows what you all need to hear at what time. I bet you, did you all enjoy the time teaching? Yes. Wasn't that amazing? Yes. Because, see, you understand that when God causes us to supersede time, mm-hmm. when the Holy Ghost moves, he's, he's moving, superseding time. He's moving through the veil of time, the membrane of time, because it's made of him. Mm-hmm. So that's how we are seeing different things when we break the time-space continuum. A prophet has to know all of that. You can't just know how God thinks or, or speaks. You have to know his, his disciplines. You have to know his business dealings. You have to know his, his thought, not just his thoughts, but his deeds, his obligations, his actions, his initiatives. You can't just walk around and say, well, all I know, all I, that's, the rest of that is up to God. Then get out of his job. If it's up to him, he doesn't need you. Go and find out. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And he, the Bible said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So the thing you need to do is love God's way of life. Whew. Don't forget, share, 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 and sow seeds. Sow a lot of seeds. Hallelujah. A lot of hours, a lot of decades have gone into being able to share this with you for two hours. And that's all spiritual. So you need to sow materially to meet heaven's exchange and to reciprocate. Well, did you have anything else to say, Puzzle of the Future? I do not. I know. You can't even think of it, can you? 
She said, you know, this is the possible of the future. She doesn't have anything to say. What does that mean? But, okay. Have a great afternoon. We love you dearly. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.